Hello and welcome to the Linny Stein Show. I'm the creator of the Gut Academy where we help you master your gut by giving you the skills you need to start living like it matters. Today we're talking that lovely green day which is coming up. So are you all ready for March the 17th? You know what March the 17th is? It's St Patrick's Day. It's the most popular holiday in the world. I've been very blessed with a lot of travel and my favourite country without any doubt would be Ireland. I've been there twice. It's on my bucket list to go back. It's just the most amazing country. Coming from Australia where we drive for hours and hours, it's quite amazing because the entire length of Ireland, you can do it in less than a day. And the width of the country in just a few hours, which is really amazing when you think about it. But I don't know who would ever want to do such a thing. Because, you know, after all, it's the homeland of river dance. Gee, I love that river dance. And the rolling green fields. It's just green. It's just like, I call it, I, when I first went there, I said, this is, this is just like postcards. Everywhere I went, it's just like a postcard. Then all of a sudden, a little animal or something would move. And you'd think, yes, it's real. And it has this most amazing old pubs. They're almost on every corner. And, of course, there's those very happy little red-headed dudes. I say red-headed with, with a lot of love. My grandma was red-headed. And I've got a little bit of tinge of red through my hair as well. And it's much more fun. I say just get into the rhythm of the island when you're there. You, if anyone's been to Ireland or you're, you're blessed to live there, you'll understand. You just go with the flow and you enjoy the green. However, you know, when we're talking of green and we're talking of St. Patrick's Day and everywhere you go, I know here, even in Australia, in Queensland, you go when it's St. Patrick's Day on, they turn the beer green in the pubs. All, all the bakeries have green bread. They have green icing on cakes. It's just green everywhere. Green bagels. You know, it's just every shop you go to, they turn it green. And I can remember one of my times visiting Ireland the people there are just fantastic. And this wonderful lady, she explained to me that there's a very bitter history to eating green, that during the Irish potato famine way back in the 1840s, there was mass starvation. There's been many books written about it and there's many people who, there's places where you could go to read all about it. It's quite sad. In the Irish, they had to, many had to flee their homeland they had to leave that beautiful green countryside because they had to go for better times. Lots went to America and elsewhere, but those who stayed behind, they had to turn to really desperate measures. They were so deprived of food that they resorted to eating grass. There's an Irish folk memory where they talk about people's mouths being green as they died. There's a founding director of Ireland's Great Hunger Institute at um, Connecticut, at the, uh, there's a university there, and Canali is the lady's name, and she's done a, she's put a lot up there. It's quite sad to read it, but I think it's interesting. I love the history of places, and yeah, you know, there was at least a million Irish died in just the span of six years. I do hope that we never go back to something like that, where we we are de people are deprived of food. Uh, this is why we have to get self-sufficient. 
it really, this is where my fermenting comes in, where we have to have stores of food, not just fermented food, but we have to get, even if we're living in, in cities, you can still grow food in pots. You can still, there's so much that you can do. And this is a big reminder to us. But going back to this beautiful Canali lady, she was an Irish woman and she hailed from Dublin and County Mayo. And she, she writes about how the sight of those green-tinged edibles, which are intended as a joyish nod to the Irish history, can be very jolting for them. She'll say, she said in there that before she came to America, she'd never seen one of those green bagels. And she says for Irish Americans, they think of dying food green. They think it's because everything is happy. But in reality, in terms of the famine, it is a very sad imagery. And it, look, it's not to say that the sight of green dyed food is offensive to the Irish. Because after all, as I said, that colour green, it's closely linked with Ireland. Because it's known as the emerald dial, you know, that beautiful, deep, rich emerald colour. Because it's, it's strikingly verdant countryside. As I said, it's the postcard, the postcard country. But back in the 19th century, the Irish nationalists and the Republicans, they adopted the colour as islands. I think when I've wrote it, read about it in the journals, they point out that it was likely to distinguish themselves from the reds and the blues that were then associated with like England, Scotland and Wales. I think the the international affinity for all things green, when you think of Irish, it's because there's a little bit of Irish in all of us. It doesn't matter, you know, what your bloodlines are, but it sort of evolves around that innate desire to, to root for the underdog. You know, quite clearly the history has shown us that there is absolutely no such thing as as the luck of the Irish and all those Irish jokes. But like just finding that pot of gold while digging for potatoes is total, total irony when you think about it because the lucky ones who fled the potato famine and escaped to America and other places, they were discriminated against and they were treated very badly. So success has nothing to do with good luck. I think it's rather about the tenacity to persevere. It's a really great way of looking at it. Because luckily, a merciful God rewarded their hard work and gave the Irish an amazingly beautiful country to enjoy for free, along with some of the finest and friendliest people you will ever meet in your travels. I'll put that... There's so many reasons why I just love Ireland. And it's not just the countryside. It was the people. Because, like, you can, you'd stop and you'd ask for directions... I'd, I love to get out into the country. I, I'm a country girl at heart and I like to get away from the cities and, and of course, the areas there are so small, but I spent a lot of time, especially my second trip back, I knew where to go, where I wanted to go, where I didn't spend enough time. I didn't want to do tours. I wanted to go by myself the second time and I did get lost and you'd ask for directions and you've got, you got to be prepared to chat. It's like you've met someone you've known all your life and you just get that instant connection with them. And of course, going to those pubs, those pubs, they're just, they're just the most beautiful place. And you'll, you'll end up singing yourself into the really wee hours of the morning with new friends. And they celebrate every day like it's St. Paddy's Day. But, you know, when you think about it, many, many countries, they've embraced those St. Patrick's Day traditions. Like, I mean, I know here we've had it embraced for years. 
come come the couple of days when it's the 17th i've seen all the ads already and you know everywhere's ready to go and they get huge crowds but when you think about it you know we don't celebrate Bas- we don't celebrate bastille day with the french or saint theodore day with the greeks and no one cares much about american thanksgiving unless you're over in america i mean we don't do anything here for thanksgiving day so but come that March the 17th from all the way from New York to New Zealand and, and, and more under, the people will be wearing the green. They'll drink that green beer and it'll be flowing everywhere. They dance in the streets, which is just wonderful. And they spend the green just to honour St. Patrick, that island's most beloved saint. But if you go back in time, you go back to the St. Paddy's Day parades, those originated in the late 1700s. And George Washington was known. He would give off, give the Irish soldiers the day off so they could join the celebrations. But then we come to the food. You know, food is, is what I'm all about. And we think of that, when we come to March 17th, one of the first things that comes to mind would be corned beef. And, you know, it may be delicious for some, but it's most definitely not Irish. There's a site called smithsonian.com and they say that, cows were a symbol of wealth and sacred animal in Ireland. They were kept more for their milk than for their meat. And that was only consumed once an animal's milking days were over. In the Irish diet, meat meant pork, and you don't cure pork to make it into corned beef. Although you can pickle pork, but it's a different, different process. And it wasn't until the British conquered most of Ireland that the Irish corned beef came into existence. That was to satisfy the beef-loving English. And ironically, the ones producing the corned beef, the Irish people, they could not afford the beef or the corned beef for themselves, It'll you'll notice in the notes. And funny enough, the Irish didn't learn to love corned beef until coming to America, where they picked up that taste from their Jewish neighbours in the urban melting pot of New York City along with the pickles, and then they, they, they come from the Jewish, neighbor, Jewish people as well. But these days, the Irish back in their homeland, they've made accommodations for that Irish-American dietary quirk. As the tourist season revs up, which it does around this sea time, and the Americans visit, they come to celebrate St Paddy's Day, a lot of the pubs in Ireland will offer corned beef because they know the tourists like it. So it's sort of come full circle. Have you ever made your own corned beef? I'm not a big beef eater myself, but I know my grandma always corned her beef. You know, the term corned, that comes from putting meat in a large crock and then you cover it with large rock salt kernels of, of the salt. And that was referred to as the corns of salt. And it preserved the meat, much like what we do with the cucumbers. But keeping the meat submerged below the brine surface, exactly the same as when we're fermenting vegetables because it's an anaerobic or oxygen-free environment, it safely cures. So if if you're keen to do it, uh, if you could grab like, I'll say it in pounds, not in kilos, I go back in time, we are in kilos here, but it's about a three pound beef brisket, two and a half to three pound beef, beef brisket. Get six cups of water, Three quarters of a cup of salt, six cloves of garlic, six bay leaves, one stick of cinnamon, a cinnamon stick. 
2 tablespoons of whole coriander seed and 2 tablespoons of whole black peppercorns and a tablespoon of juniper berries, the ones that we love to put in our red sauerkraut. Four cloves. So then just bring your water and your salt to a boil and let it cool. Place all your spices and the, bris the beef brisket in a very deep pot, like a wide mouth gallon glass jar or non-reactive container. You can cut the meat in half if necessary to fit into your container. Then cover the meat with the cooled brine. To keep the brisket submerged, weigh it down with some clean river rocks or like a water-filled tightly capped jar, that's what I always use. And then you cover the container. Cure it in the refrigerator for one week. Just turn the meat after three days so then the other side gets penetrated. Drain and discard the brine. Soak your meat in fresh water for 10 to 15 minutes to reduce the salt and discard that soaking water. Place the meat in a really deep pot and cover it with fresh water and you can optional, you can add like an onion and a carrot, some celery stalks and some fresh spices such as those used in the brine. Then simmer for two and a half to three hours or until fork tender. Just remove your meat and serve some hot. Slice it very thin as it's very concentrated. And reserve the broth and use that as a stock and discard the onion, carrot and celery. Press the remaining meat into a container into which it just fits. Cover and refrigerate with a weight, like again the jar filled with water, pressing down upon it. The moisture pressed from the meat forms like a really a jelly coating. My dad used to say that was the most delicious part. Once refrigerated, the corned beef holds well for up to a week. So once it's fermented and then cooked, you slice your corned beef very thin and serve it with like a horseradish sauce or a mustard. Or you can use it on sandwiches or as an ingredient in soups and stews. My grandma Matilda Augusta Stein, she loved to share a dish made from corned beef, herring, mashed potatoes and beetroot. She'd serve it with a fried egg and a pickled cucumber. For a delicious corned beef, if you've already bought one that's already cured, just add a small onion and a dessert spoon of like a unprocessed dark sugar like Rapidura and dessert spoon of apple cider vinegar and some fresh mint to the water the meat is cooked in. So that's it. I could have went into some nutrient-rich greens, which I would have been much more happier than, than, ser than serving you up a corned beef, but I just sort of thought, well, corned beef was fermented and it's a little bit different, and I talk about greens all day long. We've got a St. Patrick's Day saving, I just said about the luck, but you can be in luck, because we're launching our skinny gut launch and that will have masses of nutrient-rich greens because the big go with that is to have veggies with every meal. And the greener, the better. So happy, happy St. Patrick's Day, everyone. I hope you have a wonderful day wherever you are celebrating. Just get out there and put your green on and celebrate well. We'll talk soon.